0: WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Moss portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast
1: at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
0: An understanding of hallowed be your name rests upon two words, two words, hallowed and name. If we understand what Jesus meant by those two words, fitting them together in this phrase, not only will you know what Jesus was talking about concerning concerning this phrase, but I guarantee you, you'll find your prayer life revolutionized. You'll find your prayer life revolutionized if you understand these two words and you begin to practice what jesus commanded us to practice and so this morning i want to spend our time looking at these two key words see how they fit together in teaching us how to pray and how this these words and this phrase come together and can be applied to our prayer life
1: welcome to verse by verse with pastor teacher steve kreloff of lakeside community chapel in clearwater florida you may have surmised from Pastor Steve's opening statement that we are studying the Lord's Prayer today. In fact, we are beginning his second message in a series of six messages that focus us on the Lord's Prayer. There is so much for us to learn from that short prayer that it, well, it just can't be covered in one class or even a few classes. This simple example of prayer that Jesus gave to His disciples and to us is amazingly rich and provides us with a framework that we can use to be sure that we cover everything we should cover when we pray. Over the next three programs, we'll broadcast this second part of Pastor Steve's series on the model prayer. Today, we'll focus mostly on the word "hallowed." The next class will focus on the word name. And the third part of this message will look at the sort of things for which Jesus would like us to pray. Let's get ready now because class is about to start.
0: Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and we want to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. We started examining this model prayer last week, but I want to read it to you and then dig a little further this morning. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, Jesus said, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When I was 12 years old, my parents decided to hire a tutor for me, to tutor me in the Hebrew language. They felt it was time that I learned Hebrew. And why? Because the reason was that they wanted me to be prepared for an event that was coming up very soon in my life called a bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah is a religious ceremony that celebrates the occasion when a Jewish boy is considered, officially considered a man at age 13. So they figured I ought to know what I should say at this ceremony. And though today I regret that I really can't speak the Hebrew language, there are certain words and, and phrases that, that still stick in my mind from my, from my days of being tutored. And one of those phrases that I have never forgotten is part of a prayer that I once memorized. And the prayer starts off with these words, Baruch Hashem Adonai. Baruch Hashem Adonai, that particular Hebrew phrase, it's a very common phrase. Baruch Hashem Adonai is often found in the prayers of a pious Jewish people, uh, both ancient and, and contemporary, not secular Jews, but pious Jews. And these words are translated into English, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's precisely what Baruch Hashem Adonai means. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they reflect a great concern that the Jewish community has always had for God's name. And the reason the Jewish community have, have been so concerned about the name of God really goes back to their biblical heritage. See, the Old Testament prophets often spoke about God's name and they called the nation of Israel often to praise and honor His name. For example, in Psalm 34, verse 3, which we have right up up there, it says, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Again, in Psalm 29, verse 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. If you were to look at a concordance and just look up the word name, you'd see so much of that listed there concerning the name of God. And so to Jewish people, the name of God was something that was special, a name that was to be honored, a name that was to be revered, a name that was to be uh, above all other names. In fact, they were so concerned about the sacredness of God's name that the Jewish people actually went overboard overboard and trying to refrain from dishonoring it. In their zeal to revere God's name and to avoid desecrating it by taking his name in vain, which is what we're, we're warned against in the Ten Commandments, they they actually took the primary name of God in the Old Testament, which is Yahweh or Jehovah, and they just refused to pronounce it. Starting at about, and we're, we're not quite sure when exactly to date it, but probably about 300 B.C., the Jewish people decided, why take the risk of taking his name in vain? Why take the risk of, of dishonoring it? We just won't say it. And that precious name, Yahweh or Jehovah, which is mentioned, I might add, about 7,000 times in the Old Testament, and it means I am that I am or I am the self-existent one, The Jewish people just stopped using it. That precious name, they stopped using it. And they began to substitute other biblical names for God in its place, such as Elohim and Adonai. And this fear of of improperly using God's name continues even to this day. I I remember a few years ago getting a note from a religious uh, relative of mine, an Orthodox Jewish Woman who sent me a note, and in that note, she purposely, when she wrote God, she purposely took out the O. It was G D. And it all goes back to this very concept. She didn't want to risk misusing his name. Now, this passion amongst the Jewish people for God's name forms the background of the first petition Jesus mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 9 says this pray then in this way. Our Father Who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, as we discovered last week, the Lord's Prayer was given by Jesus as a model prayer for his disciples. And here's the flow of the passage. Having already told his followers how not to pray, don't pray like religious hypocrites who pray in front of people in order to get their applause and people would think they're, they're spiritual. And don't pray like the, the theologically ignorant Pagans who think that God will hear them if they just hassle him enough with, with mindless repetition. Don't, don't do that. So the question is, now that I know how I shouldn't pray, how should I pray? Having told us what not to do, what do we do? How do we pray? And the answer to that is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is given as a model to us to teach us how to pray. Remember, we said this last week, the disciples did not ask, and this is found in Luke's gospel, they did not say, Lord, teach us a prayer to recite. They said, teach us to pray. They were not asking for a prayer to recite verbatim. As I told you last week, if, if that was the case, this would take about 10 seconds, maybe less, 10 seconds to just say that that's not a prayer life. And so the Lord was was really giving a model for us to, to use. Not, as I said, word for word, but we are, as we examine this prayer, what we're looking for, folks, are essential core truths of each phrase and each petition so that we can learn these principles and then we incorporate them into our prayers by expressing them in our own words to fit our own unique set of circumstances. And so last week, as we began our study of the Lord's Prayer, we spent our time looking at the opening phrase, which is very important, our Father who is in heaven. And we said at that point that there are certain key truths about God that we ought to know. This is the God that we pray to. And it seems to me the thought here is that before Jesus ever instructs us on how to petition God, he first tells us about the God we are petitioning. And we learned three truths about God last week. This is the God we speak to first of all we learn that that he is a father to those who have believed on his son the lord jesus christ not the father to everyone but he is the father a father to those who have trusted christ as savior and what that means is and the thought here is is not that he's an aloof father who hardly has time for us he's a loving father he's um, we we said that though the greek word here is pater for father jesus spoke in aramaic and he would have used the word Abba, and that's the spirit of this. Abba is a word of endearment. It means daddy, papa, dearest, dearest father. And and when we come to God, we come to one who loves us, has our best interests at heart, so we can speak to Him with a sense of intimacy, warmth, tenderness. That's that's only reserved for a loving Father. There there ought to be a closeness that's reflected in our prayers. But we said, not only is he a father, he's a sovereign father, because Jesus said, our father who is in heaven, that's not talking primarily about where he's located, his headquarters. That's talking about the fact that he's in the heavens exalted over everything else. He's sovereign. He's the most high. He's over everything and everyone. And and we said that practically... There's a twofold application of this. First of all, it reminds us that intimacy with God doesn't mean flippancy. It doesn't mean disrespect. Yes, he's our Abba. Yes, he's our loving father, but we're still to speak to him with deep reverence and deep respect because he is the ruler of the universe. Secondly, knowing that God is the sovereign ruler of the universe encourages us. We come to him with great confidence. We have confidence in asking him anything according to his will and he can do it. There's nothing impossible for him. The God who created the heavens and the earth is not going to be tripped up because we don't have enough money, because we have a problem with health. None of that. God has all the resources of heaven at his disposal. He's God. He's the Almighty One, and he is on the throne. There's also a third truth that we looked at, which is very critical. Jesus identified the Father as our Father. He's our father, which means that that he's not only my father. He's not only your father. He's our father. He's the father of a whole family of believers. And why that is important, the reason that's important is because it reminds us that we're not to pray selfishly. We're not to pray just for ourselves. We're to pray for other believers, missionaries and friends and people in the church and and pastoral staff, and and I gave you a number of of applications last week about this. It just puts a lid on selfish praying. We're to remember the whole family. He's our father. We don't have exclusive rights to him. And so now that we know what kind of a person we're to pray to, loving but all-powerful father, who's not only interested in our welfare, but in the welfare of all his children, what do we say to him? What do we actually say to him when we're alone in his presence? Jesus said, get in your prayer closet. What do we say to him when we're alone with him? Well, that's what the next phrase of the Lord's prayer tells us as Jesus opens it up to us. And and what he is saying by this, and I think there's a specific order that is intended here. This is not random thoughts put together. Our opening the opening petition of this model prayer sums up what ought to be our first and primary concern as we lift our hearts up to our Heavenly Father in prayer. What Jesus is teaching in this opening phrase is the foundation petition upon which all the other petitions are built. It's summed up in the words, hallowed be your name. Now, I realize that most of us are very familiar with, with this phrase, especially if you've been raised going to church, who, who, who really doesn't know if you've hung around a Bible believing church for any amount of time, who, who hasn't heard of the expression, hallowed be your name. But familiarity and understanding are two different things. I'm convinced that most people don't understand what this phrase means, so they may have heard it thousands of times. And, and, and lending to that is because it, it sounds a bit archaic. Hardly anyone uses the word, hallowed today unless they speak in old king james language and there are a few but but most people don't talk like that hallowed is is an archaic word it's it sounds outdated because it is but though this word may be ancient the phrase is highly relevant and highly significant that it that it sets in and it actually sets the tone for the rest of the lord's prayer the uh, an understanding of hallowed be your name rests upon two words two words hallowed and name If we understand what Jesus meant by those two words, fitting them together in this phrase, not only will you know what Jesus was talking about concerning concerning this phrase, but I guarantee you, you'll find your prayer life revolutionized. You'll find your prayer life revolutionized if you understand these two words and you begin to practice what Jesus commanded us to practice. And so this morning, we want to spend our time looking at these two key words see how they fit together in teaching us how to pray and how this, these words and this phrase come together and can be applied to our prayer life. So the first key word that we need to understand is the word name. Let's look at the word name first. Though today, names are mere labels, mere labels to distinguish one person from another. In in biblical times, uh, a name was, was rather significant. The ancient worlds of the Bible uh, in that world, names described either someone's present makeup and character or what the parents hoped and thought the child would become in the in the future. You can easily see this in the way that, that God named people and revealed it in his word. For example, we read in Genesis that God called the first man Adam or Adam because Adam, uh, that that word means earth. This is a description of the man. It's also his name, but it's a description of the man because he was made from the dust of the earth. So God called him what he was. It described him. It named him. You also likewise see that God called the patriarch of the Jewish people, Abraham. Abraham. That word Abraham means the father of many nations, because that described what Abraham was to become in the future as God would his, fulfill his promise to the patriarch to give him many, many descendants. In the New Testament, we see the Lord changing the name of one of Christ's disciples, Simon, into Peter. That, that word Peter means rock or, or stone because God was going to transform this man from a vacillating, impulsive, rash individual up and down, rushing into things. He had no idea what he was talking about. He was going to transform him into a firm, unwavering person. This man became the first Rocky. He's Rocky rock-like character. That's what he's saying. That's why his name is the rock. He's the stone because that's the way he he was to become, his character. So based on the many examples that, that God himself gave in the scriptures about how he named people, the, the Jewish people understand this concept that a name was more than a label. And I might add that, uh, that if you look, if you are, are read up on the Puritans, the Puritans did this too. That's why you find Puritan uh, people with names like hope and charity and faith. They, they gave them those names. And sometimes they were, sounded a little strange to us, uh, other names like that, because they, it was given to a child with a desire the child would grow up. To be like this, I mean, you might find the name amongst the, the Puritans like integrity. Where would they come up? Because they hoped that their child would grow up to have integrity, things like that. Well, that's all taken from from this, this concept. A name described someone's character, revealed what they were really like or what they, what someone hoped they would become. And nowhere was this more evident than when it came to the name of God. The Bible reveals about 200 names for God, not not one, not two. About 200 names. And each of those names indicates a different facet of his nature. There are whole books, folks, written on the names of God. A different facet of his nature. For example, one of his names is Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. Meaning, it, it means, it's translated, the Lord our peace, because God is the only one who can give peace, the only one who can make peace. Another name is, he's called Jehovah Jireh. These are names he gave himself. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide because God is the great provider. He's the source of all provisions. Another name is El Elyon, the, the most high God, which describes his sovereignty and his power over everything else. So you see, each of these names speak of a, of a different attribute of God that he wants to convey to us. And so when, when biblical writers spoke of God's name, they were not referring to a combination of letters in the alphabet that spelled out his name. They were describing a unique aspect of his character, his nature, the, his, his attributes. For example, Psalm 910. And those who know your name, David said, will put their trust in you. Those who know your name. What does he mean by that? He certainly didn't mean that everyone who knows the, the word God or back in Old Testament times, Jehovah will put their trust in him. That's not what he means at all. He means that those who know what God is like, that he's faithful, gracious, sovereign, righteous, compassionate, loving, etc., they, they will put their trust in him. He could have very easily said, and those who know what you're like will put your will put their trust in you. But he said it, those who know your name, because the name stands for what God is like. Again, David said in Psalm 20 verse 7, Some boast in chariots. Summon horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Doesn't mean that in time of trouble we should we should remember a mere title by which God is is called, but rather that in time of trouble, when others put their their faith in human devices, back then it would be military things like chariots and horses. We don't do that. We put our trust in God, whose name reflects all that He is, the sovereign faithful, powerful one to deliver his people from trouble. So according to Hebrew thinking, God's name spoke of his character, his nature, all that he revealed himself to be. That's what the name means. Now it's in light of that truth and Christ's Jewish audience listening to him give the Sermon on the Mount certainly would have picked up on this and understood this. This was their whole background. It's in light of that truth that Jesus explained that the first consideration... When we pray, should not be ourselves, not be our needs, but should be God Himself. What His name reflects. They should, they should, and we should specifically concern ourselves about Him. What His name, meaning who He is, that His name would be hallowed. That's what Jesus was saying. The first thing that we ought to concern ourselves with in praying is that God, who's revealed himself by his name, would be hallowed. In other words, before ever thinking about ourselves, our first consideration in in coming to God should be that he be treated as the hallowed one, that he be treated as hallowed. And that brings us to our second key word. Our second key word is hallowed. Jesus said, that when we pray, we are to hallow his name, meaning we are to hallow who he is. But we won't know what that means or how to apply that unless we understand what hallowed means. Now, as I said before, the word hallowed, it, it's an archaic English word. It's, it's an old-fashioned word that isn't used much today, but it's a very important word. It comes from a Greek word meaning to make holy. That's what the word means, to make holy. And the basic thought behind the phrase to hallow is to treat as holy, to honor, to reverence, to respect. So when Jesus said that our prayer should be marked by hallowing God's name, he was saying in essence that when you pray to your heavenly father, you must first of all, above everything else and before everything else, be concerned that others recognize him for who he is and therefore treat him as holy and special. Did you get that? That's what he's talking about that we would treat him and we would be praying that others treat Him as holy and special.
1: In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, and Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, the heavenly hosts are described as calling God holy, holy, holy. Well, God has many fabulous attributes, but they are all summed up in the description of Him as holy. His integrity, His righteousness, His justice, His mercy, His love, His power. These are all encompassed in that one word, Holy. So when we pray, let's keep in mind that we are talking to a dear friend, but he's a dear friend who is also infinitely greater than what we can even imagine. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse. We've enjoyed having you in class and hope you'll be back again next time. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel is our teacher. If you're ever in the Clearwater, Florida area on a Sunday morning, we invite you to stop in and see us. We're at 1893 Sunset Point Road. That is midway between U.S. Highway 19 and the beaches. We also invite you to visit our website anytime. It's versebyverseradio.org. You can listen to today's class again, subscribe to our free podcasting service, or sign up for our complimentary newsletter. That website again is versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to listen to this entire message all at once, it is available on CD or cassette. You can order it by calling 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a phone number and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. Verse by verse ministries is a faith ministry that depends on the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been.